0: pray shall we our gracious heavenly father we we come to you because we do desire to trust in you alone and we know that man does not live by bread alone by by every word that comes from your mouth and so please quieten our hearts that we may hear your voice And give us faith to repent and to trust your promises. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, the political parties are giving it one last push. I see a candidate and uh, people are out there trying to campaign for the right to become the members of the Scottish Parliament. Um, Will there be enough... seats to have a one government we'll find out will be another coalition government well we'll find out as the results come And I think as we have this democratic process we should really uh, acknowledge as we look at Syria and Libya uh, we, we need to thank God for a peaceful democratic system don't you think uh, it is a privilege that that we have to exercise our democratic rights to either keep in or boot out the ones we don't like without violence and bloodshed, and we should thank God for that. But today we've got something more important to talk about than even the Scottish Parliament. And it's this question, who has the right to rule over our lives? Do we believe that anyone has the right to to lead us in our life choices, over our family lives, over our business life, over the moral choices of our lives? Do we believe that anyone has the right to tell us over our church? Does God have that right? And if so, are, are we submitting our lives under his sovereign rule? That, that's the question that faces us as we come to this portion of Zechariah. And uh, you might want to open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 11 this morning. You'll find that on page 956. If you're visiting us today, special welcome to you. It's great to see you here today. We've been working through this Old Testament prophetic book of Zechariah. And we come to chapter 11 today and going to read from verse 4 to the end of the chapter. That's page 956 in these red church Bibles Just to give the context before we read it, chapters 9 to 11 focus on this idea of kingship and rule. And when we get to chapter 10 and 11, the picture that is being used is that of shepherd and sheep to portray this issue of leadership. And we're going to see as we read these verses uh, that God tells Zechariah to act out two types of shepherd. A good shepherd and a worthless shepherd. So let's read. This is what the Lord my God says. Pasture the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I'm rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I'll hand everyone over to his neighbor and his king. They will oppress the land, and I will not rescue them from their hands. So I pastured the flock, marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I pastured the flock. In one month, I got rid of three shepherds. The flock detested me and I grew weary of them and said I will not be your shepherd let the dying die and the perishing perish let those who are left eat one another's flesh then I broke my staff called favor I took my staff called favor and broke it revoking the covenant I had made with all the nations it was revoked on that day And so the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they price me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe! to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. This is God's word. I want to keep that open in front of you now. Well, sometimes God told the prophets to do very strange things. In order to grab the attention of the people, to, to, to communicate to them. He told Hosea to marry a prostitute so that they could see what it felt like to be married to them as a nation of Israel. He told uh, Isaiah to walk around naked and barefoot for three years. Uh, so not a long line to be a prophet, I don't think. In order to sort of show them that they were going to be heading off to exile because of their sins. He told uh, Jeremiah, uh, no, Ezekiel to lie on his side for a long time and to play forts and, 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 and play besieging of a city to, to tell them about the, the besieging that was going to happen at Jerusalem. And Zechariah here is told to, to kind of do one of these prophetic dramas, this enactment to kind of grab hold of their attention. He's told to play act uh, these two shepherds, the good shepherd and the worthless shepherd. And the experience of the good shepherd really is a drama of the history of Israel. A reminder and an appeal to them to learn the lessons from their past. And then the worthless shepherd was really a warning of their future if they continued making the same mistakes of the past. So that's where this section flows. So first off then, let's think about what God... Um, tells him first to do which is to act like a a good shepherd and you see that from verses 4 to 14 and as you read through that section I don't know whether it suddenly dawned on you remember as I read it myself it suddenly dawned on me that Zechariah is, is being asked to represent God that's easiest to see I think in verse 13 and the Lord said to me throw it to the potter the handsome price at which they priced me So you see, Zechariah is actually playing the role of God, the good shepherd here. And the flock is the covenant people of Israel. And so there's a historical lesson that they need to learn. Verse 4, this is what the Lord my God says, Pasture the flock or become shepherd of the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I'm rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. So this this flock is an unpromising flock, isn't it? A flock marked for slaughter. And there's two reasons why that's the case. First of all, they had terrible self-serving leadership. Did you ever get that video clip to play? All right. Well, it just reminds me of the Iron Brew advert. I don't know whether you saw the Iron Brew advert where there's this uh, gentleman walking along, it's dark, he opens a can of iron brew, the sun shines, and uh, there's these happy animated animals, and he's drinking his iron brew, he's walking along, and the, and the happy pig sees him and dances behind him, and then the sheep sees him, waves at him and dances behind him, and, and uh, they finally walk, the, 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 the ducks and Bambi, and all these lovely animated animals, they walk into this shop, and he closes the door behind them and he pulls the banner of course it's the butcher shop don't know what that had to do with Iron Brew at all but it was a most amusing advert well that's what's going on here this flock is just marked for slaughter because the, the shepherd and, uh, is in cahoots with the butcher with the meat market those who are supposed to care for them were really only in it for what they would personally benefit from them and they would also say well praise the Lord I'm rich as they sacrifice the flock second reason this is a a flock marked for slaughter was that the sheep are as bad as the shepherds look at verse 5 their own shepherds do not spare them verse 6 for I will no longer have pity on the people of the land declares the Lord I will hand everyone over to his neighbor and his king They will oppress the land, and I will not rescue them from their hands. The sheep are as bad as the shepherds. God handing them over to be in the hands of their neighbors was as bad as being handed over to their kings. And this is one of the uh, terrible aspects, the terrifying aspects of God's judgment when He just hands us over to pursue the very things that we desire. He lets go of restraint and says, okay, that's what you want? Go for it. It is a very popular view that uh, if we will just throw off the whole notion of God and throw away the teachings of Christianity, then we'll be truly free and happy. But the history of nations and the history of so many lives will just tell us the exact opposite. That instead of finding freedom, you find slavery. Just look in your history books. Uh, The nations that have sought to eradicate God and teach atheism have become some of the, the, the worst tyrannizing nations of them all. Think about Chairman Mao's great leap forward that saw countless tens of millions die prematurely. Or the millions that were sent to labor camps and killed by Stalin's Russia. What terrible things we are capable of if we are just let loose to do whatever we want without restraints. A society where you get rid of all the police and all the military and all the judges and all the prisons, my friends, would be a hellish country where we are given what we fully desire. And these are very chilling words, I think. I will hand everyone over to his neighbor and his king. They will oppress the land and I'll not rescue them from their hands. So you see, even as God took care of this flock, from the outset it was a flock marked for slaughter because it was such an unruly and rebellious flock. And it's not because God's a bad shepherd. It's not that He desires their destruction. But it's just that their rebellious desires inevitably take them to this terrible end. And Zechariah is told that he must play this part, this shepherd over a flock that is to be uh, heading for the slaughter. And that's what he does, verse seven. So I pastured the flock, marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I pastured the flock. So even though this was an unpromising flock, Zechariah is to show them that God is a good shepherd. He he cares particularly for the oppressed of the flock, not everyone is guilty. Some are true victims. And God continues to care for them and ensure that they're provided for. And he even limits the impact of some of their bad shepherds. Verse 8. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. Don't ask me who these shepherds are. Uh, according to one commentary, there are 40 different options. So at that point, you say, well, take your pick. Um, um, It could well be the the final three kings of Judah. We just don't know. But the point is that that God is caring for the flock, protecting them. And what's the response of the flock to this good shepherd? We'll look at verse 8. The flock detested me. What horrific words. They loathed. They're good shepherd. And they show that disdain, by the way. They're very happy to uh, offer him some severance money to get rid of him. We'll come back to the 30 pieces of silver later. Things got so bad that in the end, the shepherd had enough. Verse 8, And I grew weary of them and said, I will not be your shepherd, let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. God eventually abandoned the people to the natural consequences of what they desired. He let them experience the fullness of what their rebellious hearts were wanting. These are chilling words, aren't they? Abandoning us to our fate. And you know what? When Jerusalem was under siege in 587 BC, things got so desperate, some in fact did even turn to cannibalism. And they knew that. They're looking back on these events. This is the horror of being abandoned by God. To be handed over to the full effect of our sinfulness. To be um, separated from all of God's restraining and persevering grace. And, and it was symbolized As Zechariah broke that first staff called favor. Verse 10, I took my staff called favor. I broke it, revoking the covenant I'd made with the nations. I think the NRV doesn't quite help us there. It's not that he made a covenant with all the nations. It's better translated, the peoples. Because it meant all the Jewish people, wherever they were scattered. Verse 11, it was revoked on that day. And so the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. Through Moses, God had entered into a special covenant relationship with his people at Sinai. Uh, He would be their God. They would be his people. They were covenanted to be a nation, the nation of Israel. But there was a day when their rebellious desires persisted so long and they showed such persistent disdain for their covenant God that the covenant was broken. And Zechariah is also told to break the second staff called union. Breaking the brotherhood between Judah and Israel, it says. And really that point where in Israel's history, the, the country divided between the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, that was the beginning of the end for Israel. As eventually, uh, bad kings led the nation to ever deeper sin, and the northern kingdom was carted off by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. And so in summary, this this enactment by Zechariah was to grab hold of the attention of the people, to remind them of, of their past, to remind them of the terrible consequences of rejecting this rule of God over our lives. And you know what? It is just as true for us today. When we reject God's words, when we, um, we reject His leadership over our lives, we sow the seeds of our own destruction. I was talking to a friend of mine this last week in the States who was telling me about his brother who uh, once used to brag about all the um, sinful and twisted things he'd done in his life but is, is now just overcome with shame and guilt as he just sees all the terrible consequences of it coming home to roost in his life. And I want to speak to some of the young people here today who maybe in the final years of high school maybe about to head off to college Um, You've had the privilege of growing up, many of you, in a a Christian church, in a Christian home. And I want to say to you, do not despise the gifts that you've been given. See, what we see here is a nation that had so many of the blessings and uh, so much good from God, and yet it grew to the place of disdain that it loathed the very God who loved them, who called them, who provided for them, who gave them every blessing. You know, and I look out from week to week, morning and evening, and some of you guys are just tuned in. You, you want to hear what God's Word has to say. And some of you young people are just zoning out, falling asleep, messing around. And, and I pray for you. I pray that you will not disdain God's precious words. I pray that you will not be suckered in to listen to the lies of this world. The siren call of Satan, who will promise you freedom and liberty if you just go this way. And my friends, if you go that way, you'll find there is nothing but slavery and pain and destruction. And the writers of the Hebrews warns us that we can actually taste of the goodness of God's Word. We can taste of the heavenly gift. We can see the influence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those around us and yet fall away. By believing the deceitfulness of sin. And and it become almost practically impossible to repent. What a horrific thing to have come under the influence of godly parents. Of a good church. And yet drift away and get to that place where we detest God. Don't be like that. Now why are we getting this warning at this stage in their history? I mean, these are the exiles, remember, who returned back from Babylon. They, they, they came back to rebuild the land, to, to rebuild the Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. Uh, these are the ones who actually did listen to Zechariah's preaching. They started the temple and they finished the temple. And they lived at a time when they had good leaders. They had Joshua the high priest as the spiritual leader. They had Zerubbabel the governor, uh, they, a good leader. So wh- why this historical reminder? Well, because there is a choice coming in the future. Would they learn the lesson from the past, or would they repeat it? See, when Zechariah was called in verses 15 to 17 to act as a foolish shepherd, the warning was this, that there would be leaders who would be coming who would not be as good as the ones that they had at that time. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost, or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. And this is a a point in the Old Testament that's a bit like in the Book of Acts, when the Apostle Paul calls the elders of the church in Ephesus together. He's about to leave them. He's been with them three years. He's been a good shepherd, leader amongst them. And he calls them who are going to be shepherds in his place. And he reminds them he's not going to see them again. He reminds them he's faithfully taught them the words. And he calls on them now to be faithful shepherds of the church of God that was bought with God's own blood. And, And he warns them that savage wolves would come in among them and would not spare the flock. And I think it's a passage in the Old Testament like that. And sadly, these returned exiles did experience wolves during the five hundred period of history that followed. There's a four hundred year gap between the Old Testament and the New. And they did experience many bad shepherds in that time period. But Zechariah is telling them there's a decision awaiting you. It was announced back in Zechariah chapter nine. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. Regardless of whether they had good leaders or not, God had promised his Messiah king was coming. Verse 9: Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. God had not given up on them. He would come once again as the good shepherd, king, to come and bring salvation. And here was Israel's chance to respond rightly to God by rejoicing when their king came to them, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And last weekend we reflected on what actually happened, didn't we? Riding on a donkey should have been a big wake-up reminder of what was going on. But how did they respond? You know, the Messiah came, he showed his authority over sickness, over evil spirits, over nature, in his teaching, and even to forgive sins. But instead of bowing their knees, the religious establishment plotted with the political leaders how they might kill him. And so Jesus, in the face of their rejection, calls a new Israel, the 12 disciples. And He's the one who looks on the crowd with compassion, as we read from Mark 6 earlier on, and and sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and has such compassion on them that He shows that He is the shepherd by beginning to teach them. And it's interesting to me that even as the establishment and the rulers uh, rejected Jesus, it was those who were despised. It was the guys who... Uh, no one wanted to know that rejoiced at His coming. They recognized in Him a gentle shepherd. They're God coming to have compassion upon them and they responded to Jesus in that way. And then we get to one of His own disciples even who uh, is willing to take 30 pieces of silver in fulfillment of this very prophecy here he betrays his own lord and master into the hands of the guards that will finally lead to his crucifixion and, and his death their heaven sent messiah king promised hundreds of years before comes into town and they offer 30 pieces of silver to get him dead and having rejected the king, the nation did get their foolish shepherds. And they experienced the terrible events led up to the destruction of the temple in AD 70 that almost mirrored the events of the destruction earlier. It all happened just as Jesus predicted. Now what's the significance of this for us today then? Well, there's a number of things I want to say. Firstly, God does have the right to rule over our lives. And uh, we're not left in the dark about what that means. In fact, He sent His Son. He sent the Messiah King as our Savior, who showed us and taught us what submitting to God looks like. And even in His rejection and His death, it, uh, it was all part of God's plan. As was, we'll read on in, in Zechariah, it was all prophesied here in Zechariah what would happen when the shepherd king would come to his people. His death, his that he was pierced. There in Jerusalem is, is prophesied in Zechariah, that his blood was shed on the cross, and on that day it opened up a fountain that cleanses us from our sins. See, this is the problem we've got, is that actually we are rebellious sinners. Even when God comes to us in all His goodness, in all His grace, when He comes in Christ, was there ever a compassionate king like Christ? And yet what do we do? In our sinfulness, we say crucify Him. Here's our great problem. We have rebellious hearts that need to be changed and turned. And it's only this Messiah King that can do it. And it was all achieved in that one moment where we think we're getting rid of God. God in his awesomeness had made this terrible moment, the very moment at which he was achieving our salvation. Jesus knew what was happening. He said earlier in his life, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And we're going to come to the table in a few moments and reflect again on this incredible act of salvation and love by our Lord Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And his resurrection proclaims that he is the one who God sent to be the Messiah King, to be the Lord over every life. To be your Lord and my Lord. That's the significance of last weekend. There's no doubt who should be king. There's no doubt who should be boss. It's the one who got out of the grave. And at Pentecost, Peter preaches before the crowd uh, this very truth. Uh, Liam preached it on Sunday night. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony because it was impossible. How well Liam put that point home. It was impossible for death to keep him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Well, how should you respond to that? William spelt it out from Acts 2 last week. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness of sins for our rebellion, the gift of the Spirit to change our hearts and our lives to incline us from being rebels to worshipers from people who reject God to people who love God and love His words from people who only really desire to sin to people who still struggle with those desires but deep uh, in their heart there is a profound desire to please God and live for God what are you going to do? with the good shepherd Jesus Christ you today we're kind of not just doing like a preachy sermon fill up the time moment what are you going to do with the good shepherd Jesus how much is Jesus worth to you some are willing to offer 30 pieces of silver what would you betray him for how much is he worth to you? Will we allow Jesus to rule over us? If we will, how, do we, how should we respond? Well, we, we need to repent of living for ourselves or living for whatever idols we're living for. And we need to be baptized and live for Christ. Christ. And this passage from Zechariah 11 is a serious warning to us from Israel's history of what happens if we continue to reject the good shepherd. We will get the shepherd that we deserve. Jesus spoke of this same contrast in, in, in John chapter 10. I am the gate for the sheep. All whoever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is what's on offer for us today. To submit to King Jesus and receive life and life to the full or to pursue the foolish shepherds that will rule over our lives that come to steal and kill and destroy. There are very serious consequences to rejecting Jesus as our King. If we reject Jesus as our King, be in no doubt we are rebelling against God. If we continue to reject against Jesus, uh, we will we persist in that to the end. We will be abandoned By God. To abandon Christ is the only hope of salvation, the only hope of eternal life, the only hope of escape from hell. To reject Him is to embrace the destiny of hell. Do you know what? Jesus took that abandonment for us, He paid that hellish price so that we would not have to take it. Why would you not submit to Him as your King? receive his salvation today thirdly i want to say that um, no church can continue if it persists in rejecting god's words or tampering with the gospel of the lord jesus christ my guess is that if you went to many churches uh, in the city uh, you would say are you rejecting god well, they say oh no 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 we, we gather week by week look we have these services But actually, they are rejecting God because week by week, they are rejecting God's word. And they're playing around with the gospel, denying its major elements. And by so doing, they're rejecting God. And as church members and as elders, we need to be vigilant to watch that we're not seduced by those who come pretending to be sheep, but who are actually wolves in sheep's clothing who arise to, to seek to distort the truth and pull disciples away from themselves. I think Paul's warning to the Ephesian elders in the light of this passage is, is just as apt for us today. There are so many false teachers and wolves who've got books and videos and and uh, do lecture tours and are readily accessible to us. Oh, In the last few weeks, there's been another expose of miracle healers in the States who Uh, just fleece the gullible with false claims of healing and just grow to become millionaires as people are deluded and despairing. And there's a very serious judgment for worthless shepherds like that in verse 17. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. And at a time when many believers become woolly and confused, we need to keep clear that we show... We submit to God as we submit to his word and we hold tightly to the apostolic gospel. And lastly, point of application to the elders here at Charlotte. This, this passage from Zechariah reminds us of what it is to be called to be good shepherds of the flock under our care. To really do the opposite of what verse 16 says. Good shepherds are those who care for the lost, who seek the young, who heal the injured, who feed the healthy, not for self-interest, but for the reward of Christ. And can I encourage you as we start new fellowship groups to participate in them, to allow the elders to kind of get to know you our desire as elders is we want to practically love and care for the flock and and it's hard to do that if we never meet and twice a month there's going to be an opportunity of studying the word together and an opportunity uh, for us to know one another to teach God's word to one another to pray for one another to love and care for each other that's certainly what we desire in this initiative can I encourage you to participate in that so this high calling that we are That we have as elders is one that's summarized by the Apostle Paul when he said this to the Ephesian elders You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Faithful elders point people to repent and to trust Jesus. So you know the elders are doing a good job when they'll come alongside you and they'll lovingly say to you, brother, you need to repent of that and you need to trust the gospel. Look to Jesus. And he finishes with these words to the Ephesian elders. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See, this is our hope, isn't it, as a flock? That God has forgiven our sins, that He's given us His Holy Spirit to give us new desires, new hearts after Him, and that we will go forward with Him as we commit to God and the word of His grace, which, as we apply that to one another, will build us all up. And give us an inheritance amongst the saints. That's what we're trying to do at Charlotte. Let's pray that God would give us grace to do it. Our gracious God, we want to thank you so much for your word. Lord, even the parts that seem at first obscure to us have so much to teach us. Father, we come and, and recognize in this picture a portrait of our hearts apart from grace that we are sheep that are prone to wander, prone to leave the God that we love. And so we come again And ask that you would fill us with your spirit. That we may turn away from all that is sinful and wicked. That you would change our hearts if they're growing cold, Lord. Break them up. That we may, we may love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. We thank you for the good shepherd who has gathered us to you. We thank you for his death in our place. We thank you for his resurrection life. We thank you that he is Lord over all. Lord over every aspect of our lives in this coming week. Lord, give us grace that we may daily read your word and submit to him. We ask this for your praise and glory. In Christ's precious name.